You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 91st episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I have a friend and youth development counselor who was born in New York City, son of a Haitian. He went to Cardinal Hayes High School, where the late Regis Philbin also attended, in the Bronx in New York. After graduating from Cardinal Hayes, he attended St. Francis College, now at St. Francis University. He majored in sociology with a concentration in criminal justice. He was a football player and a member of the track team at St. Francis. After graduating, he shortly returned to earn his degree in education. So welcome, Max. I'm so glad you could join us today. I'm glad to be with you today. Thank you. So why in the world did you leave New York City to become educated in Pennsylvania? I played football at Cardinal Hayes High School, and I was getting a lot of offers to different universities and colleges. But believe it or not, even though I grew up in a big city, I'm a small school guy. When I went to Cardinal Hayes, it was a small school, very family oriented, met a lot of great friends. And when I went on college visits, I just fell in love with St. Francis right off the rip. When I finished my college visit, went home and I said, Dad, I'm going to Pennsylvania. He was not happy, (laughs) (laughs) but he understood and was very supportive. And I was fortunate enough to not only earn my college degree, I was also able to play the sport that got me out of New York. Terrific. Where have you worked since graduating? I know we met when you worked in one particular place and we did some training together in choice theory. Where have you worked, if you could let our audience know? After I graduated St. Francis, I went back home, filled out a whole mess of applications. Believe it or not, I was looking to do border patrol. My whole thinking was first person to get a hold of me is where I'm going to go. I was lucky enough to be offered a position with Right Turn of Pennsylvania, which was located in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I was familiar with the area being from St. Francis and Loretto. Visiting Altoona on a few occasions, I became familiar with the area and I just decided to connect with Right Turn of Pennsylvania, which at the time they worked with Department of Corrections with parolees and released probation prisoners into a group home type Uh of setting where they would reintegrate back into the community still on probation or parole. I worked there as an aide and I was lucky enough to be promoted to a counselor and was also given a title of activities supervisor. I was thrown into creating activities for these gentlemen that are coming back into society. I formulated their first mansion team. We didn't do well, (laughs) but the fact that we were able to get those gentlemen to start feeling human and getting back into society was an absolute blast. After working there, I was connected with one of my friends He passed away a while ago, Bob Burwell. He was very influential with me at Right Turner, Pennsylvania, and connected me with Cole Forge. Where we met. (laughs) Where we met. I started at Cole Forge in 1996, summer of 96, was an aide there and was also promoted to ropes therapist. 
With ropes therapy, it was just challenging individuals thinking through problem solving and adventure-based games and activities. After a while, I was able to be promoted to a counselor working with youth. For some reason, I didn't feel satisfied and I found a position with Keystone Human Services based out of Harrisburg, which worked with individuals coming out of psych unit, whether it was the state or whether it was a local hospital, reintegrating them back into society through a group home setting. They were adults? Yes, we dealt with adults. The ages ranged from 18 to 99. We had all facets of individuals that we supported at that time. Was there for about three years. I don't know if it was just me, but I still didn't feel satisfied. So I returned back to CoForge back in 2009. I was lucky enough to reconnect with Donna Bookhammer, who gave me my opportunity to work with adults in a drug and alcohol setting. Shortly after, we became dual, where we worked with individuals that had drug and alcohol issues, as well as mental health issues. That was a great experience for me. With my experience working with youth, with mental health issues at CoForge, working with adults in the legal system at Wright Turner, Pennsylvania, and also working with adults with mental health issues, I felt as though I had a pretty well-rounded forte in regards to dealing with the individuals we were supporting at the time at CoForge. Was there for about 10 years where we met, mm-hmm. and I was very concrete in my approaches until I met you. Learning choice theory, getting involved with the choice theory trainings, I found different ways to interact to connect as well as to influence individuals with the issues of addiction and mental health to not only explore themselves, but also to challenge themselves to be a little bit better than their expectations. I love that, Max. (laughs) (laughs) After a while, I decided to move to the state and reconnect with the youth. The reason for me making that decision was because When we're dealing with adults, kind of the same frame as I had, very concrete. This is how I'm doing it. This is how it's going to be. Yeah, I've had some stumbles, but I'm still standing. So there's really nothing wrong with what I'm doing. So it was very challenging to work with adults that were very fixated on how they dealt with their problems. It was fixable, but very challenging. And I was connected with someone that worked at Code Forge before who worked with the state and told me, why don't you come with us, put in your application, why not start sooner with the battles and with the fight that you're doing instead of doing it right now? And it made sense to me. I was fortunate enough to fill out my application and was given an opportunity to interview. And currently I work for the state of Pennsylvania. That's so interesting, Max. Our paths are a little similar. I started out of college in a residential program with mental health clients, Mm -hmm. and I went to a foster care agency where I could work with youth for that very reason. It's like I wanted to have the opportunity to start earlier rather than later after long-term patterns had been developed. I didn't even know that about us, so that's interesting. I also find it fascinating that your degree, your master's degree is in education, but life has definitely pushed you in the direction of counseling. What do you think about that? I see them one in the same, to be honest with you. In my times of playing sports, I was always educated. In my times of being in school, I was getting education. When I was done playing football, I was a coach. I coached up at St. Francis, 
My first coaching gig was here in Altoona where I coached T-ball. <laughs> oh, T-ball. I remember being a mother of T-ball players. <laughs> oh, I had to deal with a lot of interesting mothers. <laughs> oh, I bet you did. <laughs> but it was very rewarding in regards to teaching someone a basic skill. Nothing very difficult. You don't have to be a Barry Bonds or Barry Sanders to get on a field and just hit a ball or even catch one. And the big part of it was the connections that you made with people. Even at my short time after I coached, believe it or not, I got into kickboxing. That also was a teaching moment. After I finished competing in kickboxing, I became an instructor. And just seeing how people put their faith in what you're explaining to them, that really taught me how to use different approaches in regards to how to help someone, like I said before, exceed their own expectations, be better than their expectations. Just a short little story. One of the individuals that I was helping in kickboxing right now is a pretty well up and coming professional boxer. And he had to deal with Tourette's. The one thing I did, which I think made him very comfortable, was I didn't even care about the Tourette's. I said the Tourette's makes you even more of a competent fighter in kickboxing than a regular person. And his father and him looked at me as like, what are you talking about? I said, when you have Tourette's, do you focus a little bit harder to make sure your tics don't come out? Or if they do, you're able to control it. Yeah. Do you focus a little bit more in regards to learning whatever you're learning in school? Yeah. Do you focus on what I'm telling you or what I'm showing you in kickboxing? Yeah. You can't teach focus. You've already mastered one thing that even professionals nowadays find it very hard to do, and that's just to focus. And you've been able to do that, and that's something that you've been doing for your whole life. So you're going to really succeed whether you do it professionally as a kickboxer or as a boxer. Again, at the time, I didn't know he was going to advance to where he's at right now. But whatever you do, you're going to have that laser focus that a lot of people can't get. I love that because you took something that most people see as a liability and turned it into a strength. And that's something I know we do a lot in choice theory. You were doing it way before you even knew about choice theory. So you are natural when it comes to helping people see that what other people see as a downside could actually be their superpower. I love that. What were the factors that led you into a career in mental health? How did that happen? I know you had offers, but really it had to be something in your mind. What was going on with you? I wanted to be a police officer. I really wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to do something that promoted change. I wanted to do something that would show me in a different light. When you look at me, I'm a pretty big dude. Walking in a room, that in itself can be very intimidating. But when you get to talk to me, you see, wow, he's pretty intelligent and he's funny and he's kind of rational. So (laughs) I give off that very different persona. I believe that being a counselor or being in the mental health field was a perfect fit for me because I myself suffered from depression, which was one of the reasons I got into sports and got into martial arts and kickboxing my self-esteem was rock bottom. And it was very difficult for me to kind of latch on to some of the things other people were doing. I was seen very awkward in my younger years. 
I started noticing things that really caught my attention that I connected with. And that in itself kind of helped build up my self-esteem, reduced some of the symptoms that I was experiencing with depression. Believe it or not, and I don't think I told you, I taught myself how to draw. And that was due to just me being depressed, isolating, but I just didn't want to be sitting around. So one day I picked up one of my comic books and I looked at a picture and I just started to draw it. Came out terrible. Worst picture (laughs) I've ever drew in my entire life. However, that still gave me drive because I did see some parts of the picture that was coming together. So I just kept steady teaching myself how to draw, looking at pictures and trying to replicate them. Now, if you would tell me, hey, Max, I'm going to send you a picture. I'd like you to draw me a portrait. I think I could do it. If you said, Max, draw me a picture of a turtle swinging off of a tree trying to jump on a giraffe, it's going to be straight stick figures. So (laughs) You need a model. I need a model. I've just steadily been able to work on that. And I use that as one of my tools whenever I'm by myself and I'm feeling that my mind is racing or my mind is dropping in regards to feeling down on myself. Everyone goes through it. There's certain goals that you have when you're young that you may not have achieved yet. And that can be pretty depressing. It could put you down a little bit. When I start hitting those points, I just pull out a pen or a pencil, paper, find a picture, and I just start trying to copy it. One of the things that I've always done is I don't force myself to try to finish that picture today. I work Mm. on it a little bit and I put it down. One picture I've done, in fact, I'm currently working on it right now. It was a tribute to John Witherspoon, who was an actor. He was with Eddie Murphy and Boomerang. He was in a TV show with the Wayne Brothers. In fact, that was the name of the show, Wayne Brothers. And he was also the voice in the grandfather in the comic series, Boondocks. Love the man. Absolutely hilarious. His best known role was the father of Ice Cube in the Friday movies. He passed away. So when I was looking through the internet, just for pictures for me to draw, I saw a beautiful tribute of a picture of the two main characters from Boondocks and his picture, like a cartoon picture. I'm working on that right now. Oh, nice. Very nice. What do you do with your drawings when you're done? I tuck them away. Every once in a while, I'll show them to some people. In fact, I did show it to the kids that I'm working with at the camp. One of the kids was like, oh, my God, I wish I could draw like that. I said, yeah, you can. No, I can't do that. All you have to do is just look at a line and start. That's all you have to do. That's what a picture is. It's just lines. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a curved line or an edge line, it's a line. I have him right now working on just faces. He needs a little encouragement. <laughs> but every time I talk to him and say, hey, let's work on that picture, he pulls it out. And each time it's just one face, but each time he works on it, it's better than the first time. Mm-hmm. And forms that little connection with the youth that we're working with right now. I love that. You providing me with a good segue to my next question, because I wanted to ask you about what are some things you've done or currently do to maintain your own mental health as you work with people with mental health challenges? Right now, I've just gotten back into it. I am working on getting my first stage in Muay Thai. I just got back into Muay Thai, martial arts. I draw right now, getting back into the gym, eating a little bit healthier and connecting with my friends. Whenever I've hit my stages of depression, I don't connect with 
anybody. I try to stay away from everyone because my mentality and also to a degree society's mentality is I'm the weirdo and I don't like that. But I feed into it to prevent people from seeing or using my mental health as a kryptonite. I keep away. And I realized that's not healthy in any way, shape, or form. So got back into Muay Thai with a person I used to do kickboxing with. It definitely helps me out in regards to going to work, making sure I keep a steady schedule. Those little things really help me stay, as I used before, laser focused. Great. I love that. Those are great suggestions. And it seems perfectly suited to you and what you love. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the work you do now. Who are your clients and what do you do to help them? Currently, like I said, I'm a youth development counselor and the clients that we work with, the residents we work with are adjudicated youth. So they're in the legal system. They have pretty significant rap sheets, anything ranging from weapons possessions to uh, aggravated assaults to robberies, truancies from school. They're adjudicated to our facility. And the main focus of it is to get these individuals back into society, realizing what they've done and also working on teaching them better problem solving skills. A lot of the youth that we get are from the inner city, ranging from Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Allentown, Harrisburg, Westmoreland County, any of those populated areas where there's a high density of crime. Unfortunately, for some reason, and I don't know if we attribute it to COVID, if we attribute it to lack of funding, but a lot of these youth connect with other youth that don't see a way out of their current situation. Instead of working on being artists or singers or businessmen, well, let me take that back. Some of them are businessmen because they are, some of them are drug dealers. They're entrepreneurs. Using those skills, they use those in manners that are detrimental to society and detrimental to themselves instead of incorporating those skills and being an Elon Musk or being an entrepreneur like the owner of Amazon, so on and so forth. What we work on is basically getting the individuals to understand what they've done, know that when they return back to the community, the community is going to do what they need to do to stay safe. If it means sending them back out of the community, that's what may happen and that's what they want to avoid. What we use is under the umbrella of cognitive behavioral therapy and it's called reactive emotive behavioral therapy, REBT. Basically, it identifies, number one, your feelings are valid. Whatever you're feeling right now is 100% valid. If you're feeling upset, frustrated, unhappy, angry, happy, sad, those are completely valid feelings. However, those feelings were not generated by the activating event. For example, if I park my car by a tree and a wind hits and the tree falls on my car, I can't be mad at the tree. I'm mad. I'm definitely upset. I'm pretty frustrated, but I cannot blame the tree or blame the surroundings around me because I already had a idea of how my day was going to go. I had a perception of how my day was going to go. With my perception, my belief is this is how it should go. Well, that's a demand. And whenever we place any type of demands on things or people, it never works out the way it's supposed to. It's always going to go against the grain. And that's what generates those feelings. 
I never expected a tree to fall on my car, but I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be mad at the tree. I'm going to be mad at nature. I'm going to be mad at the fact that the city didn't take this tree out of this section of the parking lot. If they did that, then I wouldn't have to deal with my car being hit by a tree. I just have to understand that, okay, my feelings that I have are valid. I don't like the fact that this tree fell on my car, but me acting a fool and blaming everyone around me isn't going to solve the problem of I have a tree on my car. (laughs) I got to take care of this tree on my car and be thankful that I wasn't in the car when the tree fell or be thankful that I wasn't coming out of the car when the tree fell and start looking at things like that. And that's a very challenging mission. Because again, we're dealing with youth that are in inner cities where there's bullets flying, where not only do you have to look out for whether you're going to be treated as a human being by certain individuals, am I going to be treated like a human being by my own kind? My head's always on a swivel. Their heads are always on a swivel. And just trying to convince them that, number one, it's okay to have your head on a swivel, but it's not okay to blame the whole world that your expectations aren't being met. You played a part in that also. What are the things that you're able to control and be able to change to lessen the impact of the feelings that you have right now? I hear a little choice theory in that. Yes, yes. It definitely is similar to choice theory. So Max, if you could say three things that you think help people be able to work successfully with the population that you're working with, what do you think helps people do that? I think you have to be abstract. What I mean by that is we can't take a blanket over mental health and have that blanket cover everything in mental health because it doesn't. You don't have two people with bipolar disorder will not act the same way. So you yourself have to be abstract in terms of what's going to be an innovative way that I can reach this person because that's the first thing that has to happen. If I'm not able to reach you, I'm not able to help you. If I'm not able to help you, you're not able to help yourself. And you're just going to revert back to what's worked for you in your eyes, what's worked for you to keep you safe. Even if it means other people get shrapnel in your journey of life, you're going to be okay with that because at the end of the day, you want to be okay. So I have to be abstract. Number two, I got to be supportive and I can't judge or have a negative outlook on someone's behaviors. Someone's depressed and they're isolating. That doesn't mean that they're snobs. That means that they're going through something. I got to be supportive of that. Whether it's, hey, you're not really as jovial or as happy or as talkative as you used to be. Instead of saying, man, you being weird. Hey, if you need anything, let me know. I can't feel what you're feeling right now, but I have an idea that you're not feeling your best. Whatever I can do to help you out, let me know. And I think the third thing is being able to get educated. You don't have to have a master's degree to be a good support. You don't have to write 7,000 books to be a good support. Just be an understanding, rational, and supportive individual. Those are great things. Thank you for sharing them. I want to give you an opportunity as a last question to share anything you think the audience might be interested in that maybe we didn't cover, if you have anything like that. Just some things that I see, again, through the stages of working in the mental health field, two things have remained constant for me. And I apologize if anyone gets offended because this is not about offending anyone. This is about letting people know how I see things. One of the things that I've seen as an issue is funding. 
there's not enough funding. The funding that does come out, I don't like to say, but there's sharks in the water and they smell the blood. When funding streams come out and you see all of these new offices or buildings or treatment centers come out, I question their validity. Is it, hey, we're here to really help you out? Or is it, we just found a new funding stream to line our pockets. And then once this dries up, we're going to leave. Does that apply to everyone? Absolutely not. However, people that have worked in the mental health field have seen this. And we can't throw a blind eye to it, neither. As a segue to that, people got to get paid, not just the owners of those facilities, but you know what? Your workers make it not only advantageous for you as an owner, but make it advantageous for the people that you're working with. Paying someone $9 an hour to deal with an individual that is going through an extremely stressful moment in their life, well, that creates stress also. We have a lot of turnover in this field, and that doesn't create consistency. If I'm working with someone and I've worked with them for six months, but I don't feel as though I'm being valued in a high regard, I'm going to find someone that's going to value me more than what you're valuing me. And the person that suffers is the person I worked with for six months because now they have to acclimate themselves or reacclimate themselves with a new individual who may be better or maybe worse. That's a game of dice I don't want to play. I don't like to play. It's still starting over, which is difficult. How many times can you expect someone to start over? Before they decide, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Before they give up. Yeah. That's the one thing I think we miss is that everyone has a finite amount of garbage that they'll accept. Even with severe mental health, they have a finite amount of garbage they'll accept. When they reach that finite number, they're done. That's when I think we, as workers in the mental health field, that's where we fail. We We could do better. We have to do better. I never see someone's success as my success. That's theirs. The only thing I did was show up. I've heard it plenty of times. Oh, my goodness. Max, thank you so much for helping me out. You did such a great job. You really pushed me. And I just look at him. I said, I just showed up to work. That's all I did. You did the work. You did all the hard work. I just asked a couple questions and you challenged yourself. I'll never take someone else's success as my own success because we don't work in a field where we're measured by successes, by our own successes. The field is measured by the successes of the individuals we support. And that's how we have to look at it. Well, Max, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here with us and sharing what you've learned and the things that you do with us. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. I feel very honored. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be shifting the topic to diversity and inclusion and interviewing Barb Zablotny about advocacy for people with disabilities. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast. And remember to subscribe.